good. God is great. Amen, amen, and amen, and amen. Well, you had a good time all day long at KT? Amen. I was over in Dartford, Kent this morning and this weekend, and I was preaching there Friday night and Saturday and Sunday morning. I did, I preached already twice today, so I'm highly anointed and greatly happy. So this is my third event, so Sunday. Hallelujah. Amen. Give somebody a hug and tell them something good about themselves, and then you may be seated tonight. Oh, glory be to God forever and forever. His mercy endures forever and forever. His truth shall prevail to every generation. It shall not be lost, nor shall it fade away. Hallelujah. How many have enjoyed uh, tonight already? Amen. Wigglesworth got up every day when he was alive in Great Britain, and he said the first 15 minutes of every day, he did dancing and shouting and taking communion before the Lord. So when you feel the spirit of heaviness, you put on the garment of praise. When you kind of feel down and out, you give a good shout in the face of all that negative. And you break through. And you come through. And you get on the other side. Amen. The principles of God works in any country, in any season, and in any season of your life. Amen. Open your Bibles if you have them to the book of 2 Timothy, the first chapter. Hallelujah. We want to make one short announcement that uh, the bookstore is running another special tonight on the book that we had last week because some of you still wanted it. And it's all the Wigglesworth sermons. If you like Brother Wigglesworth, yeah, I like him too. Somewhere I'll ask him one time, how do you feel, Mr. Wigglesworth? He goes, I don't ask Wigglesworth how he feels. I tell him how to feel. Hallelujah. And so these are all of his unpublished sermons I've collected for over 20 years. And if you like Brother Wigglesworth, you'll enjoy this book. And they're back there for 15 pounds instead of 23 or whatever it is. So go by and pick you one up. And when you book that big, people get scared. It's not a doorstopper or a bug killer. It's a book. And you read a big book like you do a little book one page at a time. And you get through it. Amen. The great apostle Paul had many great victories in his life and had some disappointments. Because no matter how anointed you are, we still live on an earth where there are moments of great ecstasy of victory. And there are moments when you are disappointed in behaviors or in things that did not always go as good as you thought or as good as you saw in the spirit. And in his life, he had many sons and daughters. One son named Demas in one of his letters greets the church he's writing to. And then the next letter... Paul tells us that Demas has left him for the present world. That's called not a very good spiritual son. One that says hi and bye in a matter of two books. He didn't last long. And it said that it was because he loved this present world. What you love, you give place to. What you love, you give voice to. What you love gives direction to your pursuits and ambitions in life. But there was another one of his sons that we admire named Timothy. He was probably not perfect, none of us are. But he was sincere of heart and willing to give himself in the best way that he knew. And when he found a new way to give himself, he did it. One afternoon, Paul was disturbed in his spirit. And there was not the cell phones and the texts and the emails and all the stuff we have today that we can talk to our friends and 
other parts of the world in a matter of just a few seconds. In the ancient days when Paul was alive, you wrote a letter and somebody took it for you. Or you talked to somebody and then you sent the person you told to go to the person and tell them what you had to say. And you communicated that way. Or you went yourself. Travel was not done with speed. It was done many times under the stress of your life, the elements, the weather. So being a missionary and a traveling minister in those days had its own natural dangers and excitements. But Paul writes his young son two letters. And I want to teach, and I've done this before at the church, but tonight I feel prompted to do it again. Some things are worth preaching again. That's why the Bible always says, I remind you. Because some things you forget. Not because you're a bad person, but because you're busy. Or because other things come into your life and distract you or, or excite you and you forget to hold to that which you know to be true and right and you think you must let go of that to have that and that's called immaturity. Maturity learns how to wed that which you know and that which you're learning together in the same heart and walk it together. Immaturity says pick one or the other. Like in the 80s when the big church growth uh, principles were being taught to so many of us, they had different type of statements. And one of the sayings of a small church who didn't want to grow or was defending their smallness says, well, we're into quality and not quantity. And that was an accusation against big churches because all you are is into large numbers and not substance. And I remember sitting there hearing the argument and I thought, why can't you have both? Why can't you have substance and quantity and, and quality merged together? So it takes a growing and a mature spirit to blend that which you know and that which is coming to light in your heart and mind again. And so in these first eight verses of Second Timothy, we have him giving a charge. And this is how Paul took his young son that was in trouble and put him back in his high calling. Because the only place you're going to be happy is in the maximizing of your gift and on the edge of your spiritual frontier. When you live in the place of comfort and ease, you're backslidden. Write that down. Neutrality is the beginning of sliding backwards. Believing and reaching, pressing, breaking the barriers is how we are to have a lifestyle. And the Apostle Paul starts his letter with this first chapter in the first verse by being very blunt. He was not English. He was very raw. Because sometimes when you act like Paul in this way, my country and your country thinks the person's being arrogant when they're being secure in who and what they are. And all of Paul's letters, he began them in this fashion. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. He said, number one, I am an apostle because God willed it. There are many of you who want to be things that God didn't decide for them. They dreamed up in their bathroom. They dreamed up on the tube. They dreamed up in a prophetic meeting of bad prophecies. And they say, we think this and we think that. And I'm glad they think those things. But unless God wills it, you can't be it. 
It even might be a good desire and a biblical desire, but unless God wills it to be so, you know, especially a ministerial office, you can't be it. He said, I am a sent one of Jesus Christ. And I am this thing. I am this apostle by God's will. And I live out this apostleship according to the promises that God has made. In life, you face a lot of promises, and most of them don't come to pass. The first category of promises you face are folks who have promised to give you, help you, stand with you, and they say it, and they never intended on keeping their promise. We wake up to that fact sometimes in the midst of the storms and we think that those who said, I'll be there, I'll be with you, I'll stand with you. And they've disappeared to the land of their comfort and ease. They never intended on being there. A promise made with the intention never to keep. The second kind of promise that we face in life is those who make a promise who intended to keep it but something in their life has happened beyond their control and they cannot keep their promise. And so they end up having to express to you a sadness and apology saying, I want to, I intended to, but I can't. We've all faced these two. Paul faced it. And that's why he said in his opening verse to his young son, I am this apostle by God's will and I live it by the promise of God in Christ Jesus. Because God has never made a promise that he cannot and will not keep. He has never made a promise that if there is anything in his way, he cannot move. Or if there is something lacking, he cannot create. So Paul said right in the beginning, I live out my ministry according to the promises of God and not according to any human promise. He secured himself on a foundation that stands sure. He secured his life that God must keep his word and come through for him at every turn and every angle of life. How do you live your life? How do you live your ministry? According to human approval? According to the plans that people have said they will do this and do that? You'll find very quickly disappointment, disillusionment. So don't look to humans to be your security. God is your security. And how he orchestrates his plan is up to him and we receive it done by his power. Then he says to whom he's writing in verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. There is no biological relationship between Timothy and Paul. But there is something that can surpass the bloodline of humans. And that is a spiritual dimension of sonship. There are many people today that are submitting not to fathers and mothers of the faith. But they're submitting their lives and their ministries to jealous elder brothers and slave masters in the kingdom and around the kingdom. 
They'll wake up one day and discover that what which they've submitted to, that which they have walked with, has done nothing but used and abused them. So when you find your spiritual home, you find your spiritual covering, cherish it, love it, stand with it, run to it, defend it, and don't be ashamed of it. For some of you here tonight and you that are watching, this great church of Kensington Temple is that for you. But the enemy works in churches like this to make sure everybody lives in the world of question. Are you sure? What about this? And the enemy will make sure that every little thing that needs to be fixed or fine-tuned or reworked or whatever shows up in your face and yells at you and says, See, they don't love you. They don't get you. Well, maybe there's nothing to get yet. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe what there is that you think there is to get is your ambition. Your selfish arrogance of wanting notoriety versus servanthood. But many in this house have come by God's guidance, but left by the disappointed soul or the talk of others who are disappointed, and they removed out of their place and from the place of covering that this great church has. Tonight, I beg you to reconsider your steps. I beg you to reconsider how you talk, who you talk with, and how you fellowship in round and about this great and mighty church in the great city of London, England. No church is perfect, but this church has stood throughout the decades and have been the womb of many great ministries out in the city into the nation into the world has come through the womb of kt and it shall continue you that are here need to make sure that you value your time that you're here you drink of it and don't slander it cheers because what you speak against cannot help you what you work against cannot lift you. What you are half-hearted about cannot deposit its seed of greatness in you. So make sure that no matter what happens, you stay in the revelation and in the spirit of God's direction of your steps at this season and take that which God has given and be a part of what God has told you and do not be removed by emotion or devil or stupid people. And tell them I said so. If you can't take the heat for, for standing up, I'll take the heat. Thank you for the one praise God. That's a five pound praise God. Hallelujah. To my dearly beloved son, mine speaks of a great closeness. Dearly beloved speaks of endearment, love, compassion, concern my son and then of all the things that paul could speak over his son he speaks three words he could have spoken prosperity he could have spoken protection he could have spoken so many things and been right by the nature and the character of god and by the written word but he spoke three things grace mercy and peace be unto you from our god and from his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Why did he speak these three things? Grace is not a weak thing. It is a very powerful element of the spiritual kingdom that we're a part of. Quoting just one verse. Where there is sin, grace much more abounds. So no matter how dark it may be in this city, grace abounds that much more for you and for me and for God's people. Ride the empowerment of the grace of God into victory, into joy, into conquering the territory you're a part of with no apology. I speak over you, Timothy, and remind you of God's abounding grace. Mercy, he speaks secondly. Why? Because yesterday we maxed out all the mercy we got. That's why it's new every morning. Tomorrow when I wake up, new mercies will be mine and yours too. And his mercies never come to an end. So no matter how weird you may be, his mercy endures beyond your weirdness. His mercy extends itself into your life right now. And it does not walk out. It does not withdraw its blessing. His mercy endures forever and is new every morning. Peace. He speaks thirdly. Peace. If there's ever been a generation that needed the peace of God, it is us. The world is in turmoil. Have you read the paper? Have you watched the news? No matter what channel you watch, they're all telling you bad things. Be careful. Whoa. Mm, ah, oh. I have to turn it off or I have to have extra faith prayer power later to get all this stuff off of me. It may be true that it's dark out there, but where I'm at, there's light. Where you're at, there is light. It may be hopeless out there, but where we are, there is hope. There may be folks who've given up, but where we are, there is faith that receives the impossible happening in their life every day. We are people of faith. We live by faith. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank God that I have served my forefathers with a pure conscience. In other words, what I've done, even when I was wrong, I did out of sincerity of what I thought was right. Paul was a man that lived out of his convictions. And some of his convictions, as he discovered later, were not correct convictions. Do you know you can be sincere and sincerely wrong? But at least you're sincere. But you can change. He said, I thank God that I've served my forefathers with an honest and pure conscience. I did what I thought was right. I have no real regret except when I realized I was wrong, I repented and turned. He's telling his son this. And then he continues in verse 3, if you'll look. He says, Without ceasing, 
I have remembrance of you in my prayers night and day. Prayer life in the year 2012 needs to be revamped. And, and let me say it this way. I'm glad you prayed. But let's go a little smart step further. It's not that you pray that is so wonderful. It's how you pray that is needful. I mean, the guys in the pub down the street here, I'm sure, said a prayer sometime this week. I'm sure as the little kids will go to bed tonight, a lot of parents will have them quote one of those little childhood prayers as I go to sleep, let me sleep well and wake in the morning and blah, 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 one of those kind of prayers. And then when they're 40 years old, they're still saying that prayer. Something's wrong with that picture. For you at KT, it's not that you pray. It's how you pray that is important. I learned that early in my life. I grew up in the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, during the time of the great revival, where the heavens were opened and the prayer life that you had there was not one that had to be forced or had to plow. The plow had already been done by the generation before us through a great prayer warrior named Jeannie Wilkerson and her prayer groups that have prayed through and penetrated the heavens and broke down the influence and the great revival sprung out of there in the 70s and went for almost 20 years. I was born and grew up in it. So I grew up thinking the whole world was like Tulsa. But when I left Tulsa and moved 700 miles north to Minneapolis, Minnesota, I realized Tulsa was different. And Tulsa was wonderful. Tulsa was great. If you got sick and no joke, you could go to the mall and get healed. There'd be a believer at the mall that would fix you. If you just sit down on the little bench in the mall and wait for somebody to come by, they'll go, what's wrong? I'm sick. And they'll lay hands on you and you'll get healed. No joke. There were so many Christians in Tulsa doing the gospel that you couldn't stay possessed. They'd hunt you down to cast out just for fun in the afternoon. When I moved north, I began to wake up after being there for a few months. In my early 20s, feeling like an old man. Pressure, pushing, pulling against me. Resistance that I had not known in my life like that. I thought I was out of the will of God. Because I was told a gospel lie. What does that mean? Something you were told in church that wasn't quite true. That's what I mean by a gospel lie. They were nice people telling it to me, but they were wrong. They would tell me, and I'm sure some of you heard the same. When you're in the will of God, it all works out beautifully. It just kind of works. Are you joking? What planet are you on? When you obey the call of God and the will of God for your life, your family, and your church, the devil does not sit in the heavens and go, let's ignore that. He strategizes with powers and rulers of darkness and plans a strategy to take you out, to hinder you. He doesn't want to destroy the church, just control it. That's the greatest deception in society, which Europe and Great Britain has hundreds and thousands of churches that are not dead, but they're controlled by the power of the enemy where they stay just alive to make you think that's a gospel church with 30 old people, one young couple, and a complaining dead pastor. Mm -hmm. 
That's not cute. That's called a disease. Good evening, everybody. Smile or say, oh, me, because both the same. And I started saying, Lord, I want to go back to Tulsa. When you embark on your life's journey, backwards is not a direction. Returning to that which you came out of, good or bad, is not a direction. Luke 9, the last verse says, He that is fit for the kingdom, puts his hands to the plow, does not look back. The reason why greatness is not as strong as it has been in past generations at this moment, because there are too many considering back as an option. Instead of forward is the only direction. And the Lord said to me, you can go back to Tulsa, but you won't be in my perfect will. Now, back in those days, nothing I was taught. There was only two kinds of God's will, in it and out of it. There was not the perfect will of God, the permissive will of God, the acceptable at all these different stages as we've been taught. And I'm not against that, but when I grew up, it was only one or the other. You're either in it or you're out of it. Now, that does kind of help you stay a little bit more focused. And I thought, well, I don't want to be out of the will of God. There's enough trouble out there already. I don't want to be adding to my troubles. I said, well, God, if you want me to stay here, help. Do you ever just tell God how you feel? I know you don't, but I do. I read a verse in Psalm 68, verse 8. It says, pour your heart out to God, all you people. And what that means to me is say it how you feel it. Let it roll. And there's sometimes I'm saying, God, I'm a human, but so give me five minutes. Let me tell you how I feel. Right now in Minnesota, burn this place. Take these people and move them someplace else and get my butt out of here. I know you never think like that because you're really spiritual and highly developed. But there's been times in my life where I thought, get me out of this place. And the Lord said to me, you don't pray right. I thought I pray. Notice what I said. I pray. That wasn't the point of the conversation. It's amazing when God speaks or the man of God, when Pastor Colin or Bruce or Gabriel or somebody is preaching and they make a point, how all of a sudden you start answering a question that was not asked. Thinking your response to that comment or that principle or that scripture or that revelation hitting you, that your answer makes you okay. The Lord said to me again, because he does repeat himself when you go deaf and don't hear him. He said, you don't pray in a way that it gets you victory here. I thought, I pray. See, I still didn't hear it. I pray. See, I thought, because I pray, that's enough to make everything work. Like some of you. You pray. And you read your little verses out of your little blessing thing at breakfast time. Or your little devotional book from some dead person. And that might be okay. And that, I'm not against that, but if that's, your, if that's your meal for the day, honey, you've got some trouble coming down that road that afternoon. Because those little blessing box scriptures, you can't put that much on them, even you use the back and the front. You live in London, you need a chapter. You don't need a little verse like, the Lord is good and the sun shines. 
Wow. You need something that's going to feed you, enhance you, sharpen you, and move you. And the Lord said to me a third time, uh, 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 you don't pray the way that it gets you victory here. I said, I pray. And then I told him what I did, like he didn't know, but I told him. I pray every morning. I pray in tongues. I pray in English. I confess my verses. I raise my hands and sing nice little songs. And I do. I did. Here's how I did it. I'm more than a conqueror. The blood of Jesus protects me. Now, when you're in Tulsa, that works. But when you're in Minneapolis at that time, that don't work. That might get you about maybe seven minutes of freedom and a little bit of joy while you're having breakfast. But on the way out the door, depression comes back on you. And, and the Lord kept saying to me, trying to break through my religious answers and, and my brownie points and our Texas, you know how they do in Texas, notches when I've killed so many Indians, you put the notch in your belt. I, I pray, I read the word, I know the Greek word to that and I know the Hebrew to that and I can quote Brother Hagin and I can quote Oral and I got them. So I had all my notches on my belt. Because I got a good brain. Developed it. Good memory. I can quote it. And the Lord said to me again, he changed how he said it. I guess that's what helped me get it. Yes, you pray, but you don't pray in a way that gives you the power to live above what you're in. So all of my, the blood of Jesus, more than a conqueror, hallelujah, I'm under the wings of the almighty, you know, you do it, don't laugh at me, you do it, you did it today, the only thing that saved you, you've been in church for five times, that's why you're happy right now, but if you were outside doing that, you'd be going, oh my God. You'd be calling your cellular, help! And if they're not careful, they'll be screaming back, you help me first! <laughs> so two people in a ditch don't get you out of the ditch. Two people in a ditch helps you live down there longer and call it heaven when you're deceived. I said, well, how do I need to pray? He says, whatever amount of authority that I give you you pray in that until victory shows up in your soul and the atmosphere around you is free from oppression and resistance and agonizing forces against you I said well Lord I'll call my grandma I'll call my cousins I'll call my family and they'll pray for me. He goes, no, you're going to do it yourself. Uh-oh. That's where we lose lots of people. <laughs> and we'll quote verses like this. Well, if two or three of us are gathered together, he's there in our midst. That's not the point. Well, what about the prayer of agreement? That's not the point. 
The Lord didn't say to me, you need the prayer of agreement. He said you need to pray in a way that gets you victory where you're living right now. Some of you are in trouble because you don't do what you know. You're not ignorant. You know what it took to get you victory in your, some of your past battles. But for some reason, you're trying a different route to victory. You think ignoring it makes it go away. No, if you ignore it, it calls its cousins to come over and join it. While you ignore something, it has babies and multiplies. Demons don't leave because you're a nice, pretty little Christian. Oppression don't leave because you know somebody famous that has a great anointing. Had a guy in Texas say, I got Benny Hinn's tie. I thought... I have Catherine Kuhlman's dress. If that works, then I've got the greater anointing. I got Wigglesworth's Bible. I mean, I can list all the stuff I've got. If that should make you anointed, I should vibrate in the dark. If that's how the anointing comes. I pray for you without ceasing, Paul told Timothy. How do you pray? Whatever way that the Holy Ghost boils up inside of your inner person. However he flows through you, yield to him and let him have freedom to use you to get you victory. Whatever it is, everybody that is born again, has resident authority in them. Everyone that's born again has resident power in them. The power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It don't visit you. You don't have to pray it down. You got to release it and let it come out of you and be a force that changes the atmosphere. Night and day, I've been praying for you, Timothy. That meant there was a disturbance. Night and day. He said in verse 4, I want to see you. Spiritual parents want to see your, their kids. A lot of folks that are under some coverings, they're not covered by a parenting compassion. They're covered by an administrative gathering spirit. And add your name on their list to give the credentials of how many people's under their mighty, wonderful covering? I don't think that's quite the legitimate thing. But that's a different sermon. I want to see you. Mindful of your tears. So that my joy might be filled and full. When you are a spiritual parent, the condition of your children affects you. When they are good, you are good. When there's trouble, you can feel it. And Paul had picked that up. Then Paul changes his tone as he continues to write this letter. He goes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promises of life in Christ Jesus. 
To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ, his Son. I thank God that I have served with a pure conscience. I've done that which I've done out of a pure heart and pure motive. I've been praying for you without ceasing. The burden of prayer has been upon me and it has consumed me. I've not I just asked for God to bless you. I've interceded in the depths of the heavens and the earth to move on your behalf to deliver you from what is plaguing you, what is buffeting you, what is causing you to move back from your high calling. I want to see you, but I can't get there. He's in jail where he spent most of his life toward the end. And then he changes his tone in verse 5 and begins a little sharper authoritative voice. I call to remembrance that the faith, that genuine, tremendous faith that's in you, first came from your wild grandmother and mama, Lois and Eunice. What good biblical names, Lois and Eunice. They sound kind of aggressive. Here comes Eunice. Sounds like she's a lady that takes charge. And I am persuaded that it is in you also. The first thing Paul reminds his young son of when he's in this battle is his faith. The first thing that comes against you comes against a great church is to move you from the spirit of faith of believing and receiving to hoping and maintaining. We don't live by hope. We don't live by maintenance. We live by faith that conquers. Faith that invades. Faith that goes forward. It takes it by force. And KT cannot forget that. When you're in a battle, if the devil can get you to loosen your hold of faith and go to your logic and go to the comfort of emotional support to survive the storms of life, he's got you in captivity. Timothy, I came to your house when you were a little boy because your mom and grandmother was not ashamed to be my friends. I ate at the table. I watched you grow up over the years. You asked me questions. You saw the meetings we held together. You know me and I know you. And the gritty faith that conquers that was in your grandmother, in your mother, is in you. Remember what kind of faith you come from. I remind this great church that I'm happy to be a part of for this season of my life. You did not come from an administrator named Phillips. You came from an apostle named Jeffries. Who challenged this country and built churches when nobody else could do it. When nobody else knew how to do it. When other people who did, didn't want to do it. You come from the womb of faith that walked into British towns and villages and had healing crusades and built churches 
without the permission of all the Pope and the Popets. Made people nervous. And built them. That spirit of faith resides in this church from its foundations to its height and to its reach. Let us not forget the faith we come from. The faith that makes blind eyes open. That made short legs grow. That made missing limbs grow back on the bodies. That challenged the demons that barked and yelled and rolled their eyes and persecuted and set them free or overpowered them and kept going in one. That is the faith that you come from and that's inside of you. For some of you in your families, you may be the first one in your family to have faith that takes a mountain. Others may got saved and just went to heaven. So you're building a new definition of Christian life for your family. But there are some of you that are like me. We come from wild people. They don't fit in American or British Christianity comfortably. They endure so much. They wait for that outpouring where people will loose and throw caution to the wind and take on faith and the prophetic word and go perform it. Who didn't understand it's impossible to be their reality? I remind you the unfeigned and genuine faith that is in you, Timothy. It came from your mother. It came from your grandmother. And don't tell me you don't have it. I know that I know that inside of your belly resides the muscular, invading, militant faith that resided in your family. It's in you. And it's in this church. It's in this pastor. It's in the leaders of this house. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Marry it. Kiss it. And live with it. Reminds you, secondly, that you stir up the gift of God that is in you. Don't tell me you don't have it. Because God used my hands to get it to you so I know. Paul was very close to this young man. If the devil can knock you out of walking and living by faith, living faith. The next thing he fights in a battle over your life and over a church like this is take the gift of God and make you somehow feel like it's gone. So let's talk about that first. Will God ever remove the gift he gave you from you? I agree, but let's talk through a few of the oppositional questions. I grew up with them as a Pentecostal. I love my heritage. Some things I've had to unlearn and I'm still unlearning them. They told me so many great things, but there were some things I wish they'd have forgot to tell me. Does that make sense? And one was, you can lose it. 
I mean, we knew more how to lose things than to find them and keep them. Because the church we grew up in, as sincere as they were, they were sincerely negative. They weren't sincerely positive. They were sincerely negative. And their sermons were not evil, but they had so many negative tones to it so much. That it was always, oh, mm, ah, mm. and it, you, you, you could lose if you were driving to church and you saw a billboard with the wrong kind of dressed person on there and you saw it, you could lose your anointing that night. If you turned on the radio while you were driving to church and it was a bad Madonna song, you lost it. I mean, it was almost, you kept your eyes and ears shut until you got to church so you didn't want to lose nothing. First off, the Holy Ghost is not just a dove. The dove came on Jesus. But the rushing mighty wind came on the church. And there is a difference. Some of the things that you want out of your life, the dove style of the Spirit is not going to remove it. You need Acts 2, the rushing mighty wind to blow into your life. And to blow into your church, to blow into your ministry, to blow into your nation. The Holy Ghost is not a scared dove. He's a rushing mighty wind. A rushing mighty wind. A rushing mighty wind. A rushing mighty wind is what he is for the church today. Now some of you have got soullessly addicted to the, oh, that's why some things in your life are growing the wrong way. Because that sweetness that does come at times that is good, but there comes the other side of the personality of the Holy Spirit that comes in like a bulldozer and blows the chaff out and removes the dark clouds and removes the negative voices and let the light of a new day dawn. The gift of God. Romans eleven twenty nine, The calling and the gifts of God are without repentance. Which means this. Let me give you the Laird in translation. When God was forming you in your mother's womb, He chose the gifts and the callings that He gave you. And He's never going to look over to Jesus someday in the future of your life when things are not going so well or you didn't quite cross the mark this day and say to Jesus, can you believe we gave that to them? You think we should take it back? They've really messed up. That will never happen in the throne room of God or in the court of God about you. When he chose you and gifted you how he gifts you, he will never repent or say he made a mistake or take back that which he has granted to you as a lifetime deposit in you. The gift, the call, the grace of the Lord remaineth forever with you. It does not leave your life. God does not repent that he gave you a prophetic call. He does not repent that he called you to build a church or to assist a great church. He does not repent when you've gone astray, he remains faithful to his decision. He remains faithful to his belief 
in you and your future and your destiny. And God does not run from you. He runs to you. In the dark hours of your life. God runs to you to be your present help in the time of trouble. He does not leave. He does not apologize for his decision to any spirit, any man, or to himself. People may leave you. People may turn on you. God remaineth sure forever about you. The gift you've got remains. But the gift you have must be given attention by you. He said to Timothy to do something to his gift. Not just live in the only understanding of that you have it. But when you know you have it, then you've got to do something with that which you have. That's why I said... I remind you. So that meant that he was doing one or two things. He quit stirring it up or he didn't stir it stronger, deep enough. How do you stir a gift? Number one, know you have one. And know it without a doubt. I know as good as my name is Kenneth Roberts Lairdon. I have callings. I've got gifts. And you can't take them away. You can make fun of me. You can write bad emails about me. You can even put me in your book like some heaven, make me look like a jackass. But my gift stays with me forever. And it stays with you too. But I got to do something with my gift. Know that you have it. Talk to it, number two. What do you tell your gift? What to do? I command the gift of God in me, live, come forth, move, get into the earth, move in Jesus' name, and go to the front lines. Tell it what to do. If you don't talk to it, somebody else will. And they'll say, shh, mm, calm it down, do it this way, don't do it. They've tried to change me for 46 years. You might as well give up. The only way I'm changing is getting louder, bolder, and crazier in the right way. I'm starting the last half of my life. I've been in ministry now for over 30 years. I've had good times and bad times, and I've learned. And I'm going to make sure that my last 40, 50 years is wider than my first 40. I'm going to make sure when I leave this earth, I'm taking millions with me. And I'm going to make sure while I'm alive here, that I'm the devil's nightmare. Hallelujah. Why don't you join me? Why don't you join me with your own faith and your own call and your own gift? Why don't you join the high call lifestyle? Why don't you join it now and change this country and change this city and be what you're supposed to be? Why sit there and act like all the other dead British people? Be a living soul full of faith. Like John Wesley, when the nation was cold with wrong preachers, he came at five foot three through the British streets and changed the whole country. Why Europe was in a bloodbath of war, he brought a different kind of bloodbath thing in called the blood of Jesus. And he washed British people clean with the preaching of the word and the salvation of Christ. And the blood of Christ cleansed them from their unrighteousness and revival broke out. 
it can happen again in our lifetime today. I'm believing for it. Feed your gift the word of God. All scripture feeds you. But not all the scriptures stir you the same way. Find the stories in the scriptures that make your gift start moving inside of you. That when you get done reading them and meditating and confessing them and praying them over in your spirit, you're ready to go do it all over again. Find ministries that move your insides. All the fivefold can bless you and feed you. But there are some particular people that will affect your ministry and your gift different than others. They will stir it. Identify them. Spend money to go be in their meetings and get their books because that will help your spiritual gift. All gifts can feed you. All gifts can bless you. Please partake of it. But recognize the ones that move your divine destiny and calling. Then Timothy said, or Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear. But he gives unto us, and you know the verse, power, love, and a sound mind. Just a couple thoughts for you. God does not send what he broke and took away from you at Calvary back at you to be a teacher in your life. God does not let fear become the teacher. He does not let sickness, disease, oppression to be your teacher. Paul told Timothy, fear God does not send. Fear is not a way that God teaches you. When you face fear, you resist it. You bind it. You command it to go. You don't sit there and go, what am I learning? You're not learning nothing. You're going into captivity. What Jesus broke at Calvary, he don't send back later as a teacher into your life. He broke sin. He broke shame. He broke guilt. He broke sickness. He broke poverty. He broke oppression. He broke these things to stay out of your life forever. People say, well, God's trying to teach me something when you're sick. What are you learning? Tell me. The only thing you're learning when you're sick is not good to be sick. What are you learning when you're broke? It's not good to be broke. What are you learning when you're depressed? It's not good to be depressed. That's the only thing you're learning. Now, you can choose other teachers if you want. But I kind of like the one that Jesus chose for us. He chose the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, our guide, and who he anoints and speaks to is a part of that great guidance and teaching in our life. I don't want cancer to be my teacher. I don't want poverty to be my teacher. I want the spirit of victory to be my teacher. I want the spirit of the Lord to be my teacher. Then he says in verse 8, he goes, don't be ashamed of the Lord's testimony. Nor me as prisoner. 
And be thou a partaker in the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. I wish I had an hour just for this verse. I got 10 minutes. I bind that clock. We have a war, if you notice, between me and that clock every time I preach. What is the testimony of Jesus? Everything he said, everything he did, everything he told us to do it and how he told us to do it. That's a simple way to define it. You that are visiting tonight, you that are watching, I ask you a question. The church you go to, I know KT, I don't know where you come from. So I'm addressing you very clearly. And you watching. Hello. What part of the gospel story does your pastor not want to preach? What part of redemption does he say softly and not equally bold? What part of the commission that Jesus told his followers to do and to believe that he avoids? Whatever part that your pastor will not teach, that's the part he's ashamed of about Jesus. When you go to a church, do they get people saved? Just give me a few basics here. Do they get them spirit-filled and speaking in tongues out loud? Not in their head. No, out loud. If you're going to be persecuted, do it first class. If you're going to get persecuted, if we're going to be persecuted as a full gospel church in London, then let's just do it and let everybody just cope with it. Do you pray for the sick and cast out devils in front of visitors? Just a question. Do you preach divine protection, prosperity, righteousness, whatever it is? Why we are called full gospel people? Because we want everything in the gospel to come alive in our life and to come through us. That's why we're called full gospel. But some of us should be called two-thirds or half. Don't be ashamed of the Lord's testimony. Number two. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Paul was in prison most of the time. Especially toward the end of his life. He was an ex-con, as we'd say in America. Those who had been in and come out, went back and come out. He had a great jail ministry. He knew how to break out. You pray, sing praises, and God sends an earthquake and you walk out. Somewhere in Timothy's life, there was those people who saw Timothy's gift and great personality and the great future he had. But he had a relationship with this guy named Paul. And Paul, well, 
he causes riots. He makes people mad. He's known all over the world for all the wrong things that our denomination doesn't want to relate to. Or our network wants to relate to. He goes into Ephesus, like I taught you last week, and preaches for 90 days straight, boldly, and has a little small riot. Then stays two years and has a whole citywide riot. So that all of Asia was affected by what he was doing. Timothy, if you will love Paul secretly and don't talk like him or have some of his mannerisms because when you preach, we can see him in you. And we want to support your ministry and open up real good doors for you, but... Somewhere, Daddy Paul had felt Timothy and him was in a tug of war of keeping the divine relationship. Don't be afraid of me, his prisoner, my chains. My calling, Timothy, is to the Gentiles first. Then I'm called to kings and queens and people of authority. Then the Jewish people. All three causes riots. When I got my call, I was told in the announcement of my conversion, I was going to suffer a lot. And guess what? You get some of that too. Timothy was told, calm it down. So let me say it this way. Are you ashamed of Pastor Collins' chains? Are you ashamed that God called Pastor Collins at this point in his life to make the cell thing the issue? Some of you here think, oh my God. Oh, we have to do this again. Are you kidding me? I don't think Pastor Collins woke up a few years ago what can I do to irritate you? I don't think that's what happened. I know some of you think that. Because you've been in the church very long, you get saved, you come in, in about three weeks, you're in a cell, and about three weeks later, you're told you have to build one. I mean, there is no resting at KT. Welcome to the apostolic church. You're not in a babysitting church. You're in a military training, shipping, doing church. It's different than all these other things. So, don't be ashamed of KT's chains. I had to make a decision when I built my church in Southern California. Was I going to be ashamed of Kenneth Hagin's chains of go teach my people faith? The community where I lived at that time, they didn't like Brother Hagin. He's extreme faith. Are you one of those hyper faith people? So they say to me when I go to the pastor's conferences, so I quit going because I got tired of being spit upon. I don't get spit, I want a camera so I can use it in the media. I'm going to have it done by kind of close. Are you one of those hyper-faith people? And I used to say, yes. I didn't like getting beat up, so I would still own it. And then I thought, if there's hyper-faith, I want it. If there's nuclear faith, I want that too. If there is atomic faith, I want that too. Whatever kind of faith there is that is big, bold, I want it. 
So the next time they go, are you one of those hyper faith people? I go, no, I'm nuclear. I'm atomic. I'm a hydrogen bond faith guy. I want it to be hyper. I want it extreme. I want it loud. I want it big. I want it non-balanced. I had to make a decision. If I was going to be afraid of Oral Roberts' chains, a man whose name I carry, it's a part of my own identity. Oral Roberts' chains is known as this. Take my healing power to your generation. To stand up in the marketplaces of the nations on television and preach a saving Jesus a healing Jesus and a Jesus that wants to heal you financially. Now you like that, but some people go, Hoy! and they make fun of every mistake he made. Every time he made a misstep, because we all make them. The problem is when you make them in your own stage, your own camera, everybody knows it. If we had a camera watching you, what would we see? So be kind to the people who have a little bit of that notoriety. Give them some grace. You don't follow wrong doctrines or extremism, but you follow that which is right and you defend that and giving the person the benefit of the doubt to make that adjustment that may be required. And most of them do because they're good people. They don't wake up and say, today, let's be a false doctrine. They don't wake up and say, let's commit adultery. It don't happen like that. The last thing Paul said to Timothy as Paul took him and put him back in his high calling, he says, Be thou a partaker or a participant in the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God that you walk in. Now, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. I will tell you very quickly. Be thou a participant in the afflictions of the gospel according. Interesting structure of a sentence. According speaks of measurement. To whatever degree of power you walk in, there is going to come a demonic reaction to it. We've heard this saying and we say this, <laughs> new level, new devil. True. I know it sounds funny and it sounds nice and how new level, new devil. Oh, mm, it's true. When the church goes to a new place, new warfare. When you and your family or you and your ministry team goes to a new place, new warfare. I don't want warfare. Go on to heaven. Just go, go on to heaven and do whatever you do in heaven. If you live on this earth, you're going to be in a battle. And you're going to increase the anointing with fresh oil as you grow into seasons and new set moments of your life. Set times that God positions you for. There comes opposition. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the
promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. I write to my son Timothy. And he's dear to my heart and to my life. Grace, I speak over you. That you may abound in the midst of the most darkest night. Mercy is always new for you, my son. And peace will make a path for understanding in your life. I thank God that all that I've ever done, I've lived out of the purity of my heart and my motives. I've been praying for you night and day in my prayers. I've not been just saying bless me, but I've been on my knees interceding, travailing and groaning and weeping and crying out God's will and God's protection and God's rescue for you, my son. I want to be with you, but I cannot come. But if I could, I'd be there in your flat. I'd come to your apartment. I'd walk through the door and find you in the back of your bedroom, crying and trying to find a way out of all the mess that you're in. Because I understand the call upon your life moves you beyond the human emotion's ability to, to relate to the divine destiny and the opposition. I know how it feels to wake up every day and every hour and you feel no comfort, no pleasant words, and no hope in your soul at that time. My joy has been affected. I know that you're crying because of the pressure that you are under. Pastoring that great church at Ephesus. Dealing with all the persecution that the early church is in at this moment. But I remind you, my son, that if I was there in person, I would still say it the same way. So hear my words as you read this letter with the tone of my voice and authority. I remind you that the faith in your belly is not weak faith. It's not kind faith. It came from your mother and your grandmother that conquers and invades and finds joy in the battles of faith. And I am persuaded, Timothy, that if you look down into your spirit and get out of your emotions, you'll find that that faith still resides in you and waiting for you to activate it again where it can lift you back up into the heavens. I remind you that inside of your belly, next to your faith, resides your calling. Resides the gift. Do you remember the day when I walked over to you by the unction of the Holy Ghost and I laid my hands upon you in that hour of grand transition from heaven under your own spirit God breathed through me and through my hands into your belly came your gifts, your anointings and your call for your life don't tell me you don't have them I know how you got them God used me to give them to you I remind you, stir them up and tell them what to do. Don't allow fear to govern you whatsoever. And don't think I don't understand fear. I live with fear just a few feet from me every day. As I preach, as I travel, as I walk, as I talk, as I sleep, the spirit of fear waits for a weak moment to pounce on me. 
I remind you, God has not given you the spirit of fear. But he's given to you and everybody like us power, love, and a sound mind. Timothy, get out of your flat. Get back out there on the front edge of their ministry. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. Preach everything with full capacity. No part of you being afraid or ashamed or embarrassed. Preach it bold, preach it strong, and preach it with joy. Yes, I'm your spiritual dad. That's why you talk like me. That's why you prophesy like me. That's why at times you preach and you run like I run. You have a part of my DNA. Don't be ashamed of it. Timothy, get out of your flat. Get away from your goofy friends. Get back to your high call. And count it joy when you're being persecuted for the great anointing that God's given you in your life. That's how. That's how Paul put Timothy back in his high calling. Stand up on your feet. Tonight I preach to you, and the musicians come. I have preached to you eight verses. That if you'll study them and do them, and realize that some of you tonight are in a battle that is raging over your life and your destiny, some of you are shrinking back because of the atmosphere at this time in Great Britain is so contrary to faith and the mighty anointing. You need a fresh anointing on your life. You need a clear vision again to come up into your soul. You need to hear God's voice again. Shake yourself before it's too late. Shake yourself and return to the God of your salvation. Return to the joy of your salvation and the mightiness of your faith. If you live in this way, causes people to run from you, buy them a train ticket and says, leave faster. Don't mourn the people who have no understanding nor wish to understand that which is alive in you. God is working and He is looking for somebody to do something outside of the British box one more time. Everyone has an opportunity to be that person, to be that minister, that prophetess. I pray for you tonight that the God of heaven and earth will hear my voice and answer my prayer for you tonight. I pray for you tonight that the gift of God inside of you will come alive one more time and make itself known to you in a way that you've been familiar of its mighty moves before. I remind you and draw that gift back into the surface of your spirit and your soul. Let the gift of God live and come alive. 
come alive in the name of Jesus. I break the powers of the enemy that is putting you in captivity. Loose them. Let them be free. Blindness go. Deafness come out of their ears. Let the fresh wind of heaven blow again in your life. Let plan B disappear and return to the plan A of the high calling. I pray for you tonight that where you stand, God will come and meet you. And you'll have an experience with Him that will not leave you the way you are. Jesus, come back into their lives. Holy Spirit, come upon them again and shake them loose from those things that bind them and hinder them I pray for God to lift you up out of the mire of the clay out of disobedience out of rebellion out of arrogance out of fear and put you back on the mountaintop of His grace and His glory. I pray for God to help you. To help you. Now lift your hands up all over the room and welcome the help of heaven into your life right now. It's not my touch that you need, it's His touch that you need. In the balcony on the main floor, you and your homes, turn your face up toward heaven and raise your hand and just ask God to come over you afresh let fresh anointing a renewed passion let that which has been dormant awaken in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus I pray for you tonight move inside of you move inside of them. Now I'll do that. If you're here tonight and you say, Brother Roberts, I've said no to my call and destiny and I, in my heart I've walked away. If you've done that and tonight you feel that, that thing that you've done like that is now you want to correct it. Lift your hand up. Lift your hand up. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to make anything but an honest. I've done that. I've walked out. I've said, no, I don't want. Come here. T praise, uh, prayer team, come forward to you real fast. If you raise your hand, come here real fast. I know it's 9.15, but come quickly. You say, Brother Roberts, I've said no to it. I've walked away. And I want to correct it. I want these prayer team ministers to lay hands on you. Pray by the Holy Ghost. Be led by the gifts of the Spirit real fast and begin to minister to them by the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus reach your hands out toward them very fast and let's add our faith to their faith right now as we pray Holy Spirit work among them tonight as hands are being laid upon them that the anointing will come and break through on their behalf come and break through on their behalf pray stronger than that KT lift up your voice and pray a little bit stronger Oh, the Lord of 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 the
in the name in the name in the name of Jesus we pray for you tonight and we lift you up with our faith to yours it's not lost it's not over it can return in full force into your life in the name of Jesus hurt come out 